Welcome to Shop Talk Live, Fine Woodworking Magazine's bi-weekly podcast. I'm senior web producer Ed Pernick, and joining me today are special projects editor Asa Christiana. Hey, what's up? And senior editor Matt Kenny. What's up, fellas? As always, I like to ask folks, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, spread the word to your fellow woodworkers, stop by our iTunes page and leave a comment, maybe even a sweet five-star rating if you think we deserve it. You can even go to our iHeartRadio page. Um, just go to iHeart.com and search for Shop Talk Live. Um, so, gentlemen, uh, I'd like to start things off with some big news. Oh, boy, what's this going to be? As you all know, a common theme among the uh, comments left at our iTunes uh, store page is that folks want this show to be done on a weekly basis. And um, great news, we might have some potential investment opportunity. People will be very happy. Yep, I received this special message in my inbox. Um, It says, uh, Dear Sir, we understand your desire to live your dreams. GCI, IIDB, That's true. That's us. Personal yep. Loans and Corporate Loans gives you an opportunity to fulfill such desires, bring happiness to your loved ones through hassle-free loans at GCI. Borrow from 100000 U.S. to U.S. $1 million and above for any purpose. We support you to set up a business of any kind in wow. any part of the world. Loan repayment tenures from 12 to 120 months. Sincerely, Mr. Imad Ali. Wow, that sounds yes. really promising. There is, guys, there is a lot of money coming in from Nigeria these days. And, <laughs> yes. uh, it's something that we've, I've been looking into very closely. I, I'm going to take a wild guess that they're going to want that interest payment up front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before they give you the loan. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh. Right. Um, anyhow, that, that's, please don't Google GCI, and please don't give them your personal information if you're looking for a loan. <laughs> Whatever GCI is. Right. Um, Anyhow, uh, and I was I was going to clue folks in just briefly uh, to the fact that um, one of our uh, contributing authors, um, Peter Korn, uh, has a – a lot of you probably know he has a new um, book out. Uh, and uh, just a quick little heads up that I'm trying to get him onto the podcast in the coming weeks at some point. I'm trying to pipe him in via Google uh, or via Skype, actually. Yeah, Peter so. is the uh, owner of uh, the Center for Furniture Craftsmanship in Rockport, Rockport. Or Rockland, Rockport. Rockport. Rockport, Rockport, Maine. Rockport, Maine. Yeah. Indeed, he's been running that. They just celebrated their 20-year anniversary, and he was a craftsman, and uh, he is a craftsman, and uh, and he's run a really, really successful, beautiful school as a nonprofit business for 20 years, and he's just like Ed said, he's just written a book about uh, his experiences and. Um, it's a good read. I think Ed went. You went into the city to hear him talk, and uh, it's funny. I I went into the city to hear Peter talk, and uh, <laughs> I was going to bring all of my podcasting equipment and plug it into their audio feed so that I could get the audio from his talk. And then what did they say? What oh did well, their they sound said, "Don't worry, we have got you covered. We're pulling an MP3 file yeah, of his entire that talk. Equipment, my <laughs> don't friend, worry about your equipment. Don't you are it. covered. Right, I'm covered. And uh, the next morning, I got a phone call from a really nice woman who. Um, was very apologetic to say that they had absolutely no audio from the event. <laughs> so it was like, you know, all that time and effort and a little bit of money wasted. Nice trip um, into Manhattan. Yeah. Well, I got a couple of beers out of it and a slice of pizza. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, anyhow. But you'll catch up with him in future weeks and uh, yep. talk to him. He's a fascinating guy who's had all kinds of amazing woodworkers come through his school over the years. Really talented teachers. The, the work that they're doing, I just judged to show up there, Maine Wood, I don't know. If you guys know that, but, um, and I just attended the show opening, uh, mm-hmm. last week and the level of quality of the work there is unbelievable. It's one of those places where, you know, you can judge a tree by its fruit, you know? So, uh, the, the fruits that come out of that place, that sounds weird, are, uh, are, uh, are amazing. It's really, really amazing. The work that they're doing. I don't know why we have to go there. You know, why do we have to go there? But anyway, sorry. Uh, let me unfortunate, take that. Let unfortunate me take turn that. of phrase. We'll, we'll fix that in the post-editing uh, Let me take that shovel out of your hands. <laughs> Thanks. Um, all right, so let's head into our first question. This is from Sean, and Sean wrote, I'm a college student and have recently begun renting a garage in town to work on projects and hide from classwork. Being in Geneseo, New York, oh, right by Rochester, my alma mater, uh, I'm dealing with really cold temperatures, recently around 10 degrees or less. Big surprise. How would you suggest I handle glue-ups? The garage is not heated. So should I take pieces to my apartment and glue there, or would buying a space heater and putting clamped pieces in front of it be enough? Is there a certain type of glue that works better than tight bond in cold weather? 
Has anyone heard of a polar vortex before (laughs) now? Like, have you ever heard that phrase before? Just super cold. (laughs) But now it's every other day on the news. Oh, totally. Wait, let me use my breaking news theme. Polar vortex. That sounds good, right? (laughs) Yeah, sounds fantastic. (laughs) There's only one answer. This is a pretty clear answer. Glue them up in your apartment. That's the, and that's what you got to do. Yeah, you don't want to take a chance. There are, I was just on the Tight Bond site recently for some glue uh, content. We were doing glue articles and glue up videos and stuff. And there, some can get as low as 45 degrees and still be successful, but that's nowhere close to real, you know, uh, winter heat in uh, the Rochester, greater Rochester area. Uh, winter cold, you know, the cold temperatures that you can find up here in New England. Um, so you don't want to chance it. No. Well, why not uh, Tight Bond CWF? What's that? Don't even. I, you don't I, know. You're going to drop the f bomb. No, I type on cold weather formula. You never <laughs> heard of that? Oh, you said CW. I said CFW. <laughs> oh, cold. cold weather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's an that's an easy one. I mean, that's, yeah, it's you, not going to happen in your garage, Sean. Right. There's no glue that works when it's that. It's no, that and you wouldn't. We wouldn't advise taking a space heater and shining it on your work. No. Nope. Nope. I'm not even sure if those heat the right way. They heat by, what is it? It's radiant versus, I don't know what the thing is, but it basically, whatever they're shining at, it heats that surface, but it doesn't actually heat the air or yeah, some basically. Yeah, radiant uh, or convection. Yeah, there's, not I mean, because sure. not only does the glue have to be a certain temperature, the parts being glued also have to be at a certain temperature. Exactly. And it's just so much. You just take them to your apartment and do it. This this reminds me of uh, Greg Paolini's shop before he insulated it. And uh, when I would go down to shoot video workshops at Greg's place, he has one of those, um, those I think they're fed by kerosene that you always see on job sites. Propane. Is it propane? Oh. And it just, it's like a jet engine. Right. And they're man. Salamanders. Yes. And whenever I wasn't shooting with Gary, our videographer, I would just plant myself, my hands or my butt, right okay. in front of that jet engine and it was the most glorious because that was a cold shot man yeah oh he he, uh, yeah it was pretty cold he doesn't have that shop anymore but yeah no 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 yeah he did the the current one which he has insulated since oh oh the current shop the big one in north carolina Uh, you'd be surprised how cold it gets in north carolina in the morning yeah in winter yep you can tell how much so many of us love woodworking because of the lengths we went in the beginning starting out to do woodworking I didn't have a heated shop for a really long time, and I'd be out there, you know, with a Carhartt jacket on and gloves, and yeah. you pop your gloves off for five minutes to do something intricate, and then you pop your gloves oh, back it on. Thanks. It's yeah. like you go to great lengths. That's when you really earn your stripes. Yeah, my shop's not heated. It's cold. But it's I'm attached. well aware of that, man. It's attached to the house. <laughs> yeah, that helps a little, right? It does, yeah. Normally, it doesn't get below, say, 40 in my shop during the winter. But yeah. with the polar vortexes that have been occurring <laughs> this winter, there have been days when it's like 33. I have not seen it dip below freezing yet. But So are you... Um, polar vortex. <laughs> <laughs> so are, are you um, following your own advice, Matt, and bringing all those big projects into your living room and gluing them up? Oh, yeah. I always glue up in the by the fireplace, by the wood stove. Yeah, absolutely. Do you nice. really? Yeah. Yeah, cool. not always, not year-round, but when it's cold like this, I absolutely yeah. do, yeah. yeah. I'm sure your wife really enjoys that. <laughs> right. Um, well, you have to see your family sometimes. Yeah, Sunday I was doing a glue-up on the uh, on the island in the kitchen. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. um, well, Sean actually had two questions, so oh. I'm going to go back into Sean now. Question number two. Um, this is, what is recommended, what is the recommended process for cleaning up a live edge? i.e. removing bark and preparing it for use. I remember Matt talking about using a draw knife to remove bark from a slab he used for a tabletop. I would like to do the same thing. I have a large walnut slab, but am worried that a draw knife would remove more than just bark and end up distorting the live edge feel. P.S. I love the show. However, I'm saving my glowing five-star rating for when this podcast goes weekly. That's right, Ed. I'm holding your oh-so-wanted review hostage. Your move, Pernick. First of all, I'd like to say, Sean, apparently you don't understand the way this works. You see, I hold the keys to this podcast kingdom. I will not be taken hostage by anyone. Yeah, you're not getting an answer. That's right. Moving on. Moving on to our (laughs) first segment of the day. All right, answers question. Um, Hey, that buzz that I'm hearing through my headphones, are you hearing that, Ed? I'm hearing a buzz, but I I don't think it's going into our uh, recorder. I think it's uh, the... Our headphones. Our okay, fine. Mixer. We'll move on. Right. Not that we're anal retentive woodworkers or anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the, so he mentioned. What was me. the question? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> uh, live edge bark removal. Uh, well, what I did on my, it was uh, two big walnut slabs and um, I had bark and I also though had uh, rotted punky sapwood to remove. Which would be the wood on the outside of the live edge. Right. Not the dark brown of the walnut, but the creamy uh, color on the on the edges. <laughs> so I used um, a draw knife, mm-hmm. and it made quick work of the bark and of the sapwood as well. And what I did to keep it looking something like a live edge, uh, I simply followed the contour of the line between the heartwood and the sapwood. And also the sa- the heartwood didn't – it wasn't – perpendicular to the face of the wood and you know it had a curve some places it curved out some places it curved under and so i just followed that line all the way along the length of the board and the uh the draw knife definitely left facets on the edge and so i just left those facets those are pretty yeah it was nice had a nice texture to it but i've seen uh i did a slab piece for my house too it's a a dining table with a big walnut slab that was resawn down the middle and opened up like a mirror, you know, book match. And um, kind of the Nakashima style with the groove down the middle. And in that case, the sapwood was in good shape, and it's creamy and nice, and it kind of outlines the outside of the table on both sides, so I wanted to keep it. So I did really minimal uh, work to the taking the bark off. I wanted to leave the tree intact, so... I, I don't can't remember how I got the bark off, like a dull chisel or something, but I tried not to hit the wood underneath. And, yeah. and then when I got it close and all that was left was that sort of little shredded sort of cambium layer, I guess they call it, um, I just used a scraper to take it down to where it naturally started becoming hardwood. And that kept the outline of the log perfectly intact. I've seen other people use right angle grinders with various attachments uh, on them, various kind of sanding and abrasive attachments to right. take it off. Um, yeah, it depends on the look that you want, whether you want it to be smooth. I've seen other people carve it, I mean, uh, um, sort of saw it at a right angle to the actual outside of the slab, but still follow the lines of the log. Um, and, you know, there's all different ways to go. I wanted the minimalist look, and I didn't have punky sapwood like Matt did. Yeah, and there are actually, there's, uh, depending on when the tree is cut down, the bark will either be more difficult or less difficult to take off. I can't remember which it is. Like if it's cut down in winter, I'm not sure if this is right, but, and then you let it dry, the bark will simply fall off. Yeah. And if you cut it down at the other time of the year, the bark is really hard to get off. Right. I can't remember which way that is. Um, But if you want the minimalist look, I would just say get most of it off and then scrape it. For the minimal look. Yeah, yeah. And you could have taken off those tool marks by going with finer tools. You could have then gone to a spoke shave and yeah, sandpaper if you wanted to. I probably, I think I did touch it up in a few places with a spoke shave. Uh, and I did do some sanding just to make it a little less uh, rough mm-hmm. between the facets. Yeah. But I, you know, the facets were still there and you could feel them when you ran your hand down the edge. So there's... A lot of ways to skin a tree. Is that what we're saying? Yes. Multifaceted, just like your personality, Matt. <laughs> That's right. Layered. <laughs> Layered um, like an onion. Well, let's... <laughs> they all make you cry. <laughs> all the layers make you cry. That's really good. <laughs> let's head into the first segment of the day, and that's going to be all-time favorite tool of all time for this week, where we sing the praises of our most beloved, cherished, scintillating tools. Oh, I added that. That's a new... Uh, that's a that's a, that's a new that's one. It's a new twist. Way. I like that. It took it to another level yeah, with that. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's the kind of talent that you bring to the show. Indeed, gentlemen. Talent in square scare <laughs> quotes. <laughs> uh, Matt, mm-hmm. what do you got? Well, uh, I don't know if they necessarily count as a tool tool, mm-hmm. but uh, for a while now, probably around two years, I've been using the this product uh, made by a company called Night Eyes, which is N I T. I-Z-E, two uh, whoa, different whoa, words. Whoa, whoa. This is, Matt, now, just a reminder here. <laughs> this, is, this is a family program. <laughs> right. And it's woodworking related. This sounds mm-hmm. like something you would mm-hmm. use as a vigilante, like heading out to. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is how I seek okay. vengeance in mm-hmm. the crime-ridden metropolis of Watertown, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Night Eyes tie-downs. And what they are, uh, there's a rubberized outside. And on the inside, it must be some kind of really thick wire. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. what's in there. But they act like the – you use them like the twist ties that come with trash bags. 
Okay. But they're big and long. And thick. And thick. And I use them around my power cords mm -hmm. in the shop. I use them on the power cords for – extension cords, I should say. Power cords for my power tools. Uh, in my truck where I have to – I keep stuff to tie down lumber. <sighs> yeah, I know. It's exciting. really exciting, Matt. <laughs> well, these things are fantastic because it means there's no more cord mess. <laughs> I now have any more cord mess anywhere. That's cool. It sounds like a – I love discovering little stuff like that. Yeah. It's neat. And because you can use them over and over and over and over again. They never go bad. They don't wear yeah. out. They don't wear and out. And there's like, there's Velcro versions of that, but they're yes. kind of a pain in the neck. Yes. This is, uh, if it was a commercial right now, you know how whenever they're tr if they're trying to diss the Velcro version, right. they'd show a guy like struggling with <laughs> it and being like, you've tried Velcro, you know, and he's like, oh, like, like, yeah, act like it's I the worst thing in the world. It, but Velcro gets dirty and you see he's got like a chihuahua stuck to the Velcro. <laughs> right. It's like, <laughs> right. Yeah, these things are fantastic. Um, the thing that I wanted to talk about is, is a little bottle of super glue that was given to us at the Fine Woodworking Live show last year when they were introducing Nexabond, which is uh, which some of you have probably heard about. We've talked about it briefly on the on the pod. I think we we talked about it a little bit after AWFS last year in Las Vegas. So I, w I probably wouldn't have tried it because super glue. I just haven't needed it that much in the past. Um, but they gave us a free bottle, so I took it home and tried it. And what's so much better about it for me, and I know it's a little different from Matt, is that it takes longer than super glue to set up, but not too long. So it's like for, it's a minute, you know, minute or two, but it's enough time. I, basically, I use it for repairs. The number one thing I use it for is repairs. I find when you're doing any kind of woodworking, there's just a ton of times when something chips off or you're, there's a place, someplace you need to patch something or stick something back together or you lose a little chip or some blowout. And uh, when your power tool woodworking, and this lets you put a little of this glue on it, put the piece back in place, throw a clamp on it, and you, maybe you go to continue hand planing or whatever, some other part of the project. By the time you come back a minute Done. or two later, you can take the clamp off and start hand planing and sanding that area immediately. It's like, yeah. it's incredible. I'm using it for repairs. I'm also using it to... Um, make jigs and fences and attach things around the shop. It's really fast. And that way, Matt, you've been using it to do straight-up glue-ups in your shop. Yeah, I've used it a lot since uh, they were – they weren't just – I should maybe we should point out – they weren't just giving it out to us, the editors. They were giving it out to everybody right. at Fine Woodworking Live. Yeah, everybody got a bottle except my poor uh, friend Silvan up in Canada who never got his bottle. I didn't get a pissed. bottle. Well, they, he can't take it to Canada because it didn't also have French on the label. Oh, right. So I can't. didn't get a bottle. Yeah. Well, the hell's up with that? That was on purpose. Yes, that was on purpose. <laughs> I got two bottles. Oh, that's <laughs> weird. Yeah. Um, I use it uh, not for any joinery yet, but I use it for one like uh, I've always used super glue for uh, to fix problems like you did. Yeah. But you always want to use accelerant for that. And yep. I have found you, you – and actually I asked about this. You don't use accelerant with Nexabond. And I, that's another thing I love about it. Yeah. You don't have to smell it. Which it's like is wasp an, spray. Which yeah. is an extra little spray you have to put on uh, the stuff. It, this doesn't need that. Right. It doesn't need that. And I have actually found that the glue dries enough in like 30 seconds yep. that I never clamp with it. I never put clamps on it. And I, like I mentioned I was doing a glue up on the Kitchen Island – Sunday, what I was actually doing was making a tray for some chisels, and you know there was a plywood base. I glued on some wooden lips around the perimeter of the plywood base using Nexabond. I did clamp those up because they were so long, but only clamped them for a minute or two. And then there were dividers in between the chisels, and all I did was put uh, a little bit of Nexabond on it and press it down on the plywood. Yep. 10, 20 seconds. And they stay. And you could move on. And I could move on. And they and don't come off. The formulation we got, I think, was a few minutes for full cure, uh, the stuff we got at Fine Woodworking Live. But they make a, a number of varieties um, uh, up through, you know, quicker setting and slower setting. I like the little bit of extra time because with super glue, it was always setting up so fast. I didn't really have time to move or go grab a clamp. This lets me use it like regular glue. And just about the time I got the clamp down... Uh, on the work, you know, it's plenty of time. And then it's starting to set up not long after that. And uh, it just lets you move on. I know Michael Fortune's been using it a lot, too, and raving about yeah, he's it. he's actually going to write a review for the magazine. 
a, hmm. a little tools and material review. Yeah. Yeah. When he gets back from globe setting or globe trotting, I should say. Yeah. It just lets you move on. I mean, even any place you would use yellow glue in the shop, like you're making a little jig and you want to add the insurance of a little bit of glue to while you nail something on, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't use the jig until the glue's set up an hour mm-hmm. later. This is like two, yeah. three minutes later, it's like, let's use the jig. The other thing on Sunday that I did, I needed to make a little uh, template routing jig uh, for these little inserts between the chisels. And I just glued the two fences onto it to help hold the little inserts in place while I routed them. I used Nexabond, and they were both on in less than a minute. And it only takes a tiny amount, and you don't have to glue both surfaces. It's different than uh, you can read about it at Nexabond's website. N e x a b o n d. Yeah, it's it really up. cool stuff. I've really been. I've I, you've been using it a lot. Hmm. All right. Well, I, since I have no all-time favorite tool of all time for this week, uh, I say we move on into uh, the next question. Let's do it. All right, let's do it, Edward. And that comes from Ben, and Ben writes. I've recently watched some of your video workshops with Mike Pekovich and Greg Paolini, where they've tended to do surface prep with a number four smoothing plane. Um, I don't have a number four. I have a number five. Uh, And I'm wondering, um, how do I set up my number five as a smoother? Does it involve any modifications to the plane itself, or is it more an issue of how the blade is sharpened? Um, Now... Well, Matt, go ahead. I guess actually, in a way, it does involve modification to the plane, but it's not anything permanent. All you need to do is slide the frog forward. So when the blade is set, well, let's step back a minute. For a smoothing plane, you want to take a really light shaving, a few thousandths thick. And so the blade is not going to project very far out of the bottom of the plane. You want to move the, the frog up so that you have a very narrow mouth when the blade is projecting out. Uh, so that's a modification that's different than if you're using it as a jack plane, you want a wider mouth so you can get bigger shavings through. Uh, but as a smoothing plane, you want the mouth to be as small, just about as small as you can get it, maybe uh, three thousandths of an inch or so, uh, maybe, uh, maybe three mil. Anyways, really tight. And then you want to sharpen your blade with a, a bit of a camber in it which you may or may not already be doing, but just a slight camber so it that... avoids track marks. So it doesn't leave track marks when you're using it as a smoothing plane. And that's the same whether you're using your number four as a smoother or number yes. five as a smoother or even your six or seven. I've seen people use bigger planes as smoothers um, or, or as their standard bench plane. Basically, if you're going to use it as a standard bench plane for just all-around bench plane work, you set it up like any bench plane. If you're going to use it specifically for smoothing, where you want a, the finest possible chip and the tightest possible mouth, then you set it up for smoothing. It's not so much about the length of the plane or the number right. of the plane. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. true. Actually, um, I should point out that uh, we had a, a little uh, technique video with Garrett uh, Hack uh, recently on the site uh, talking about smoothing planes, and that was kind of the point he made. It's like, well... You know, a smoother doesn't so much depend on, you know, the number of the plane so much as how you have it set up. Um, So I'll probably um, try this week to put a link uh, to Garrett's uh, smoothing plane. So it's tight Um, mouth, cambered blade. I was just, yeah, I was just, exactly. And you don't, you don't have to camber the blade, but it works better if you do. Yeah. There's some, you know, when I was starting out for a lot of years, I didn't camber the blade. And you just get really mild little tracks that you sand off afterward. I was just up in Maine with this guy called Gerald Curry, who's an amazing furniture maker who's been on the back cover. Uh, He's got a couple articles coming out about how to build case chests of drawers. And he uses, I think, a number seven for, like, everything. He uses it on its side as a shooting plane. He stands it up as his smoother. He uses it the way you would use a jack plane. He kind of uses a long plane for everything. So, you know... There are subtleties there, but, uh, you know, length doesn't necessarily have to matter. Fair enough. Uh, Next question comes from Leo, and um, Leo writes, Gentlemen, a battery driver that's powerful enough to drive screws in all phases of woodworking. That's not really a question. He just made a statement. It's really a statement. (laughs) I like it, though. It's like a Zen koan or something. The answer is... What brand and models do you like? How about battery voltage? Okay, all right, so let's back up a minute. Uh, Let's talk about drill drivers that are powerful enough to drive screws, all types of screw sizes. Uh, What, you know, what what are you looking for? Um, Go ahead. If he's talking about woodworking in the shop, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, things you would do, strictly speaking, that you would see in the pages of fine woodworking, like um, it, it's mostly small screws you'd be driving and small holes you'd be drilling. Occasionally, you'd run a Forstner bit or something. Um, you can have lesser voltage, but so... You could, 12 volts. You get away yeah, with 12 volts. 12 volt. volts would be good, especially if you had an impact driver, which adds greatly to the amount of torque you're putting. Yeah. And there are a lot of... Uh, like small 12 volt kits with both an impact driver and mm-hmm. a drill driver. Yeah, it's nice to have two. I'll say that because it's nice to have a drill and a driver going and be able to go boom, boom and not constantly have to switch back and forth between right. the bits. It's really nice. I think everyone would agree with that. Yes. And we just tested, um, and that's why those kits that Matt's talking about are so great. We just tested impact drivers in one of our, because they're so amazing at driving screws because they, inc- they, produce amazing torque without ever camming out the head of like a Phillips head screwdriver and um, without sort of snapping it off. Though they can snap it off. What is it that they don't do? They uh, a, a lot of torque, I guess, without basically camming out uh, the top, without stripping it. Mm. Right. Um, and what our key question was, can, be the, can this be the only drill in your shop? In other words, can you also drill with it? Like big bits, small bits. And the truth was... We did all kinds of drilling with it, and it worked fine. And if you had a big honking bit, like a giant inch and three-quarter Forstner or something, and it does go happen to go into its impact mode, it's fine. It still keeps working and drilling. So actually, an impact driver uh, is ba- could basically be your only drill. If you had to just – if there could be only one, I would say impact In driver. In a land where and, there's only one. And then the other little twist on this is – most of us do a lot more than just furniture making around the house. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be times like even if you're putting a, uh, a lumber rack and in, in you're putting lag screws into the studs of your workshop or you go out to build a deck or things that we all tend to fi- end up doing, that's where the extra voltage. So if I had to pick just one drill, it would be an 18-volt impact driver yeah. if I was just picking one. Right. One thing to keep in mind about impact drivers, though, is uh, – if you're going to use it to drive in screws, which is what they're used for, you 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 need to get the correct type of bit for it. Yeah. Because if you get a standard bit for it, it will break the bit. Yeah, it can. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I've and had they it, make, yeah, plenty of them it. broke. Yeah. yeah, I broke. I think I might have done too. And I and they make specially extra tempered hardened yes. stuff for yeah. for the to to withstand the impact. Right. Yeah. If I were to only get one. Uh, I mean, I would not get a single thing. I would get a pair, yeah, and I would get an eighteen volt first, yeah, because they can do everything. And then, if you want to go further and have something just for woodworking, like furniture making, get a twelve volt set. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The cool thing about the impact driver too is that it has a short body to it, and so you can get it into, get into tight spaces. spaces. Yeah, and uh, that little quick change kind of chuck thing goes or pops right in, and so right. the hole from the tip of the drill to the back of the Drift to the tip of the bit to the back of the drill is a lot shorter, so you can get it into cabinetry and tight places, which comes in really handy. It came in very yeah. handy for me this weekend because I had to. Um, I was running a plumbing. I mean, it's not it's not woodworking related, but I had to run a a piece of plumbing um, in an existing wall, so I had to drill all these holes in between each stud. And I I almost went to uh, you know my hardware store to buy one of those adapters, those right angle drill adapters, and then I realized you're gonna get one of that. Oh hard- wait a minute, I have. The hardware store down by the down docks. Down by, by the docks where the stevedores are. <laughs> on the long shore. Down by the marina. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they move a lot of freight out of that place. That's right. Whew. Down by the harbor. Um, yeah. But anyhow, I was going to buy this add-on for my drill, and I realized, oh, no, crap, I have the, I have the little impact piece of cake to get in the, into that 16-inch yeah. stud bay. Um, I will say yeah. another thing about impact drivers, mm-hmm. which I love mine. However, like you said, they have those quick connect uh, yeah. hex heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only problem I have with them is when it comes to drilling. If that heck, that quick connect is a little bit of slop at all, mm-hmm. when you drill, you don't get a really tight hole. Uh. And so on my 12-volt setup, my orig- I didn't have – I had an uh, impact driver and uh, a drill with the same type of connection, mm-hmm. but it could never drill properly. So I went out and got one with a normal chuck. Yeah. Because it'll hold a drill bit better, and you'll get a yeah. And I, I actually, they make chucks designed. They're not that expensive for impact drivers, and they click right into an impact driver. Oh. I have one of those. It's uh-huh. awesome, and uh, it's keyless, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I use that for the exact reason Matt's saying. Plus, not I have a whole set of twist drills that 
are that have round shanks that right. won't go into the impact driver, so you need it for that too. Yeah. All right, that's a whole heck of a lot as, about. Uh, <laughs> well, I was going to say, as for um, he also asked about what brands, and I was I was just going to say that you know. The main brands all manufacture decent quality drill yeah. drivers, but we did have an article. We did. We had yeah. a review on eighteen volt ones. Not yeah, too long they ago. can look and see there, so, and we'll stand by those. We've results. also we've done one off reviews of the larger brand twelve volt guys mm-hmm. as well. So I'll I'll probably put a couple of links on the on the blog post. I failed to do that um, two weeks ago for our last episode, by the way, because I just got so slammed at work. Yeah, you're lazy. But I will yes, but I will put some links up this week. Um, That's what I call it. You passed out three times in your cubicle with the with the liquor bottle with the liquor poking bottle out of my bottom drawer, cigarette burning um, on the carpet. All right, so uh, next segment is going to be the new one that we actually introduced um, on the last episode. And since Asa is here, he wasn't here last episode. I'm excited for this. We one. have to baptize him in this new uh, Shop Talk Live segment. It's called Tool Bombs, and uh, this is basically a home for. You know, those tools, there's two categories for tool bombs. One, it's that tool that you bought that you thought was so cool, but you have absolutely no use for it. It's absurd that you ever wasted the money on it. The other category is you bought a tool that is just so bad, so poorly made, so silly and absurd that it belongs in the fireplace. So it has, it's wonderful, it could be wonderfully made, but. There's you don't have a lot of for use you, for it. The, the style of woodworking that you do, maybe it's like, or you need this? it like heck, but it's a piece of junk. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, let's. Um, we're going to start with Matt. Why don't you start so that you can kind of show Asa how this works? Show me how know. it's done. So. And I sadly, <laughs> for the second time in a row, I have a tool that was extremely well made, a very high quality tool. That was I really it pricey too? Ha- no, nah, not too bad. Fortunately, that I really have no use for, uh, which is a scrub plane. What did that run you? I don't Buck remember. I just, I've, I've had had it for a long time. I don't remember. Mm. But uh, I think it was it was probably more like eighty bucks, something like no, that. It's not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. But uh, yeah, so I have a scrub plane. You know, this when is I, like the roughest of the planes, basically. Big open like mouth, super rough, right. big work. rounded. It's yeah, a tell them what plane. it's for. Tell it's them what it's for. Plane. Right. Well, if you guys would give me a chance to talk, <laughs> get a word in. This is a plane. To... That... <laughs> what does it do, Matt? Uh, so, so hold on, Matt. Yeah. So this is. <laughs> um, so a scrub plane is just used. A lot of people use it for thicknessing stock very quickly. It has a narrow blade with a really tight radius on the cutting edge. Would you call it a pronounced curve? Uh, I don't know, even know what that means. What's, what's a pronounced <laughs> I curve? I thought you went to college. <laughs> All right. It's a, no, I'm just kidding. It's a curve that I spoke. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, a has, mega camber. Yes. It has a pronounced curve on it, a very <laughs> tight radius. And you can use it to take deep uh, shavings, deep cuts very quickly, but they're not very wide. So you end up with a really rough surface, and then you would go back with your jack and start to smooth it out. It's, it, you're, it's designed for, by hand, roughing off a lot of material quickly. Yeah, and one thing that's interesting, well, I don't know how interesting it is, but one thing about them is no one really knows exactly what they were used for a long time ago because they're really not ideal for thicknessing a big board. They're just not. But um, I bought one before when I first started woodworking, and I didn't have really any machinery. And the idea was, all right, I'll use this to thickness stock. And then once I had access to a joiner and a planer, I was like, forget that. I'm I'm not using this thing. And... uh, so now it just sits in my tool cabinet. I never use it, and so I wonder if the scrub plane was maybe was originally a boat building, more of a boat building plane. I wonder. I don't know. Some people say that it was originally used by Finnish carpenters hmm. to hollow out the back of molding, so that if there were any irregularities in the uh, wall, you so could... only the edges that show really are what contact right. the yeah. interesting, like yeah. to give some relief. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Well. I'm happy. The more expensive that tool was, Matt, the happier it makes me. But 80, <laughs> I don't feel that great. I can't gloat that much. But um, my tool that I want to uh, gripe about is my adventure with aniline dyes. And I now have four or five bottles of these things sitting and on the shelf unused with a tiny, the tiniest amount taken off the top beach one. Now, I've heard people sing their praises, and I guess if you're into staining and dying, uh, they're great. I have celebrity finisher Jeff Jewett on the line. Jeff, <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it started with a maple uh, dining table that I made a long time ago where I explained to my wife that I'm just going to put a clear finish on this. It was a trestle table 15 years ago. 
And she said, oh, no, no, I want that warm brown honey look like my mom's table. So I said, all right, let me go get some stain or something. And I murdered it. And then we had that for a long time. And eventually the top, the stain job came out horrible. So I sanded it all off and I get, I did what I did with a lot of my early furniture. I gave it to relatives because <laughs> they don't know any better. But at the same time, you can't stomach giving them a, something that looks really horrible because it hurts your reputation. Sure, of course. And so I took my, uh, I borrowed the Rotex Festool sander from here and I sanded all that old finish off the top. But then I said, oh no, the top's all white maple now and it doesn't match the base. So let me recreate the color of the base. So then I started an adventure with aniline dyes. And I was trying to do everything they tell you to do, but I got the color wrong. And then I bought more dyes to try to correct the color. And eventually I had purples and greens and all (laughs) these. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. And I've never had... That's why I end up at the philosophy of just buy really nice hardwoods that you like the look of and put common finishes on them. Spend your time picking the boards, right, and the grain that you want and, uh, and buying good hardwood or, or could be, you know, vertical grain, dug fir, whatever it is. Buy nice pieces of wood yeah. and then put clear finishes on them. And I've been so much happier doing that than I have been staining or dyeing wood. But this actually brings up a third category of tools yeah. that were tool bombs, just to tease a, a little bit. Yeah. So kind of the tool you buy, but you, you don't, you're not really quite ready to use or, yeah, or you haven't like mastered. It's carpenter that blames yeah. so, tools. then you just put it on the shelf. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> because, yeah, you're right. I mean, around here, a lot of us, I would never use stains, but yeah. guys like Jeff Jewett, Peter Gedry's, yeah. they all sing the praises. I think where I got in over my head was I was trying to match something. Right. That was like a high-end thing to do. Mm-hmm. you know. And I would use dyes if I wanted to do bright colors, like something like really green or red or purple, like really have fun with something. But man, I don't want to be recreating wood tones. Wood's so beautiful as it is. Right. But you're right, I got a little over my head. Well, mine is... Uh, I my the first router I ever bought I bought a cheap fifty dollar router. I know and, exactly uh, where you got it. Yeah, you know. But let's <laughs> let's just leave that alone, Matt. Um, I, I bought a cheap router for my first router, and big mistake, particularly particularly with a tool that is as da- that is as inherently dangerous as a router because potentially what I, dangerous. Potentially dangerous because yeah. what eventually happened was I found that the the handles were like vibrating off. Um, the motor started making god awful noises, probably because the bearings were wearing out prematurely. And I was terrified that the collet was going to give out and the bit was going to come out spinning. It probably the, was. The motor never securely fit into the base. So if you were doing a lot of routing throughout the day, it would start kind of creeping, creeping out, yeah. you know, and it was just a tr- traffic accident. You know? I think I had that same router. <laughs> I, that was my Terrible. first router. It was fifty bucks. Oh, one of the hard the lessons problems. of like becoming a woodworker is figuring out where you can save money and where you shouldn't try to. Yep. There's a, actually there's really nowhere you can save money in woodworking. No, there isn't. There isn't because you work so much more efficiently. I have with a one tool. place. There's where? like three or four places. Where? Spring clamps. Spring clamps. <laughs> you can get spring clamps Just at the dollar store. You can get spring clamps at the dollar store, and they're all pretty much the same. Yeah, I found. Woodworking is just, unfortunately, it's just an expensive thing to do. It's like you can't save money on wood. It's no. just, no, you got to spend the money on the wood. Suck it up. Yeah. And really tools. You can't you can't buy cheap on the tools. You yeah. got you to buy good quality tools. Indeed. Um, well, let's, that, that's when they're, whether they're used or new. You got to buy high quality tools. Yeah, I've got nothing against used tools. Right. I, fact, I just thought of yeah. another segment for Go the ahead. future. What do you got? It would be trying to dig for those places you actually can. Like, ooh, uh, I like that. That's bargain the cheapskate woodworker or something I like, like that. that. Like, like really good bargains that that no that this makes hidden sense. bargains something you know like uh, uh, that's a terrible name. But I know we'll find we'll, something. We got to come up with a clever name. Yeah, e- email ooh, us. Ooh, email ooh, us ooh. a clever name for no, our no, cheapskate no. woodworking. We finds. have to get really dramatic music intro music for it and call it to catch a bargain <laughs> to catch a bargain but i think folks can email should uh should definitely leave comments on the i video, love it yes right? and tell us what we should call this segment and we yes. only we only need one person to tell us how they use their old underwear as a finishing rag 
<laughs> Let's just take that one as red. Yeah, that one is given. You don't need to tell us you about know, that one. Yeah, we've all know, done it. <laughs> do you know what I use uh, in the shop a lot for lint-free cloths? What's that? I'm not kidding. My mother Your saved... mother's underwear? It's <laughs> <laughs> really weird, Ed. <laughs> I don't know where you're going. Here. My mom saved all of our original cloth diapers. I know oh, that yeah. sounds totally weird. Those are good. Because yep. she used them for a very short period and then quickly realized, because it was right when I was born, it was right when disposable diapers were coming out, right? Mm-hmm. So she quickly realized, screw the, yeah. the diaper service. But she kept all the cloth diapers she had bought, and they're they're awesome. They're super soft, and there's I have tons of them, and they're yeah. 40 years old. With my kids, we use those for burp rags. <laughs> yeah, uh, burp rags. And I, yeah, totally. I used every single one of them we had up. I used it up for, uh, uh, like, uh, wiping on finishes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay, so... Uh, next question comes from Jim, and Jim wrote, In a recent Lee Valley monthly catalog, the cover photo displayed a couple of dozen types of tenons. I know that different configurations are used to improve strength, work around space issues, avoid racking, etc. How do I know when I should use something other than a standard tenon, and what are the criteria that dictate which tenon type to use when? So this is a pretty... Huge, Broad, yeah, big, huge, huge question. question. So I think we want to break this up into... We'll take a few pieces of it. Yeah. The, so yeah, The most wants, helpful pieces, Who wants right? to go first? I'm going to give some airtime to Matt and some airtime to Asa. So who wants to go first? Uh, I'll go first. Want, okay, Matt. I want you to have some airtime, Ed. Yeah. Give him your, uh, I... Listen, um, Jim. Ed, stop talking. There's one... No, no. <laughs> it's... Listen, one word. One word. This is all you need to know. Dowels. Dowels. Everything. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's no joke. You actually can doll together sure. most of your friends. Hey, look but at Jim Krenoff. Yeah. <laughs> um, Go ahead, Matt. Uh, well, so I, when when Reddit when I first saw this question, what I thought about was that there's two times when you might want to do something other than a single tenon, or there's two two cases where it sort of came to mind where you want to use something other than a single tenon. One is if if the the board with the tenon is really wide, say like the side of a of a low boy. Uh, which is a case I know we've done that in the magazine before, or, the, or a breadboard end, or the end of a tabletop breadboard into a breadboard end. end, or even a wide table apron, yep. where if you had a single apron, a single tenon, there'd be so much seasonal movement that it would cause problems for the joints. Because you have such a wide right. tenon. In cases like that, you want to break that single tenon up into two or more smaller tenons. And uh, so that's one scenario where you move away from a single tenon. And usually there's a little bit of a shorter stub tenon between them, running between them. Yeah, can be. Yeah. Yeah. And also you do things like the bottom tenon will fit snugly into its mortise, but all the other mortises will be slightly oversized to allow for And you might just pin the top ones. Yes, and not glue them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. uh, then the other place where you would go for more than one tenon is if, say, the usually that top rail across uh, the the over a drawer and a mm. table is could really be, thin. Really could Narrow. be under the drawers also. Under the drawer, anything that's sort of short. Yep. Yeah. In height. You would want to make it wide yep. or deep. Yes. A lot of and guys call these drawer blades. Drawer blades. A lot of drawer rails. Yeah. A lot of also yeah, calls them. And you would put. The tenons, you'd have more than one tenon, but instead of being on, one on top of the other, going they would be side to side across the width of it. Yeah. Uh, so that's another place you'd want to use more than one tenon. I mean, but for me, the, the question was so huge that we can't possibly answer every scenario, mm-hmm. but yeah, well, that's some good guidance. I can, I can break off a couple other pieces. So one thing is he said, he mentioned what it's being tenoned into. Um when a when the t- when a leg gets very narrow, like on a table or a chair, and you're trying to get two tenons into it without weak, you have to start you start worrying about weakening the leg itself. And there's a number of ways to size those tenons uh, and shape those tenons so they go into the leg with without weakening it too much. And we just had an article about like strong tenons in small places or something like that. Who was the author? It's a great, it was uh, Conway Twitty. It was strong tenons, <laughs> tired spaces. I That's... got friends in. Right, and, but uh, what, uh, what, what, that article was by uh, Coleman. Was it by Tim Coleman? It was Tim Matt, Coleman. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, Potting, I'm potting down your um, <laughs> microphone. Matt's done for the day. No, uh, Ed, maybe you could put a link to that article because that was another really awesome discussion yeah. about what to do when you're trying to get tenons into something narrow. And then the other thing that I thought of is when do you haunch a tenon? 
and we could go into a whole different thing about haunch tenons, mm. and we've had articles about that. But the number one place you would add a little haunch section to the to the end of the tenon, um, sort of the top or bottom of the tenon, then is probably in a door frame where there's a groove running around, and in order for it, the, the little haunch ends up filling the end of that groove, so you can make a through groove in the styles without um, without having to make a stopped groove. That little haunch fills that little right. leftover bit of the groove in a door frame. So it's a big topic, but those are some of the variations on I tenons. also know that in France, um, any piece of furniture that's going to go into uh, the cathedral at Notre Dame this is a gets, a, gets a haunch tenon. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, yeah. That's on a roll. All right. Moving on. Um, next question. Oh, my. I forgot to put in the name of the. You uh, know you're loving it. <laughs> that was a fantastic joke. Unfortunately, I forgot to put in the name of the person who sent in this question. So I'm sorry, but I do have the question. Um, it says Greetings, gentlemen. And I use that term loosely. My wife and I had been plotting a move for a few years. Of course, my only criteria for the new home was enough land to build a 1,200-square-foot dedicated shop on. Unfortunately, reality in the term in the form of California real estate prices interrupted my plans, and now I'm settling on a one-and-a-half-car garage where my wife intends to park her car every night. There's plenty of... Yes? You don't need to park a car in a garage in California. That's true. Yeah, I don't know what that's but about. But don't use logic so against your wife. Step, <laughs> Oops, sorry. Step one is... Fight that fight. Fight <laughs> right. the good fight with no, your no, wife. Step one is don't bother. <laughs> I've found that you've got to give something up in return for whatever you're going to get. So find something that you can give up on in order to get her to agree to. It's got to be big to park the car outside the garage. But anyway, if that fails, let's help him with his real problem. Um, well, he continues, uh, there's plenty of room along one wall for a bench and a floor standing drill press, but I was planning on finally adding a good sized bandsaw and table saw to my shop Good idea. and want to have enough clearance around them to work. As such, I'm noodling over mobile bases for both and rolling them back and forth. Assuming I buy high quality tools as a baseline, what else do I need to be concerned about? Should I be worried about the bases creating a lean to the table surface, added vibration, increased noise? Am I just being paranoid? Yes, you're a woodworker. Of course you are. Um, so I think he answered that question. Right. <laughs> right. Moving on to our next section of Shop Talk. Right. Uh, so what's the deal with these mobile bases? Good idea, bad idea? I think m- mobile bases are fine. I have one on my table saw. But here's the thing. Here's what I would say about mobile bases. Do not buy the kind where you add the wood in between the, the little corners with wheels. Because those will absolutely will vibrate, and they're not going to be very strong. What you want to do is find mobile bases that almost perfectly fit the base of your machine. And the, They have a welded steel frame. Yeah, tubular steel frame, something like that. Because the one that I have, which is, was made specifically for my old Unisaw, because they had an odd-shaped base, has a welded uh, tubular steel frame. It does not vibrate. It rolls really well. And yeah, I spent like 120 bucks on it, but it's perfect. Um, and it has a really nice locking wheels, um, and that, it's low that to the lift ground. It up. The lift mechanism is. There's good. no lift mechanism. It's just really it sits oh, really you, low to the ground, and the wheels are always in place. And you place. just lock them. You just lock them because hmm. yeah. there's another kind that lifts a little bit. You step on it's something to pedal. roll it. Right. But whatever it is, this is another one of those places that you you uh, what you, you get what you pay for. Yeah. And this is not a place to skimp. Because he, all the problems that he talks about could arise if you buy a crappy mobile base. Um, the trick, though, with bandsaw is easy. But on a table saw, though, do you have them? What do you do with your outfeed table? Do you have that as a separate table that you just slide into place? Uh, my outfeed table is attached to my table saw, right? And I don't really do anything with it. I just—it's not so heavy that it's a big deal. And two, so it slides around as you roll the table saw around. It, its legs aren't mobile. Correct. I don't, but I don't, actually don't have to move my table saw very much or if ever in my shop right. now. But they do – you could buy an extent – you know, one with wheels on it. Yeah. Uh, and you should be able to find – they do – I know that like HTC I think makes them that, that way. Uh, you can also make an extension off the back of your table saw that is supported by the table saw. Yeah, for an outfeed table. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah you don't have to table. have a free – yeah. 
a side feed table, depending on how long it is, the rails of the fence can really support it while you move it. Right. We have a um, in the shop here. There's we have two joiners in the shop at Fine Woodworking. One of them is an older eight inch Powermatic, and that that's on a mobile base too. Yes, no problem. Also, our fourteen inch bandsaw in the shop here is on a mobile base. And both no of, problem. Both of those are high quality. They're mobile high quality bases. mobile bases, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. And I would look for one like I have, where the wheels are always in the same location, and they just have locking mechanisms. Not the kind where you. Uh, have to press have a, it down. Right, the foot pedal that raises yeah, the base. Yeah, I would. Those right. I I found have more vibration than the other kind. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Well, uh, listen, guys, we get lots of comments on our page in the iTunes store as well as through email every week. And actually, wait a minute. We, I. What's wrong, Ed? Do you hear that? Do you hear those crickets? No new. I've got no new comments this oh, week. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did I not? Have I not been asking religiously every week for new comments? New, some, it hurts. It yeah. hurts. It I really work hurts. really hard to I produce think when something these is scripts. this perfect. What else are you really going to say about it? Oh, yeah. Nice. Well, That's evidently, we did not upset anybody last time with our humor. Or, <laughs> not, or, or maybe we did, and that's why we're not getting any more comments. Bro. Right. No one's listening anymore. <laughs> it was just me last time, and I probably sunk the ship. From our from our six, from our normal, you know, uh, uh, six listeners of this yeah. podcast, we're down to like two. That's right. Um, my, par- my parents and your parents stopped listening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's just Mike's parents now. But no, I'm just kidding. Actually, we have... Uh, I checked today. We have 464 comments and ratings, and uh, like 98% are five stars. And people people write pretty detailed comments. Um, so that and sounds like woodworkers. We're doing pretty darn well. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty I'm, I'm pretty psyched about that. And um, so and I, I should say that we're recording this week's episode a little bit early in the week, so we haven't had enough time to accrue our normal, you know, few new comments. Don't sound week, defensive. So. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so that's it. Crickets. That about wraps it up this week for Shop Talk Live. We'll be back again in two weeks on February 21st for our next episode. In the meantime, show us a little love by leaving a comment on iTunes and by all means, click that five star rating. Don't forget to send your questions and comments into shoptalk at taunton.com. T A U N T O N.com. You can catch the podcast via iTunes. Stream it on your computer at shoptalklive.com or catch us on iHeartRadio. Cheers, everybody. Wow, that sounds really promising. There is, guys, there is a lot of money coming in from Nigeria these days. <laughs> yes. uh, it's something that we've, I've been looking into very closely. I, I'm going to take a wild guess that they're going to want that interest payment up front. <laughs> <laughs>